As we move into the season of Advent, if you're unfamiliar, this is not a group of Christmas sermons, though there will be some reflections on the Christmas season. If you grew up in a church situation that did not celebrate, did not consider Advent, really what it comes down to is this, we don't want to miss what it means to wait. That there is an anticipation that comes for the followers of Jesus that we don't need to overlook or, or really undervalue. And for us as a church, this, these next few weeks, we're going to look at Advent through the lens of the various apostles in the Scriptures. And today, if you have your Bible, I want you to open that to the book of, of 1 Peter, uh, chapter 1. And as you're turning there, just know we are starting with Peter for a couple of reasons. One is that he talks vividly about this week's Advent theme, which is hope. The other is that most of us, maybe not all of us, maybe you're perfect like Paul, or he knew he wasn't perfect. Maybe you have the whole Bible memorized like Paul. Maybe that's where you are. But most of us relate to Peter more than the rest of the disciples just because he could be a doofus. He fell down over and over and over. He... uh, if he were in the NFL draft, his, the way they would explain him would be this. If Peter was a wide receiver, he was unable to catch, which is a problem for wide receivers. He would make multiple mistakes. He was a middle-aged man with a wife. We know that because he had a mother-in-law. There's a possibility that he had children. And, it, and when we look at the life of Peter, there may be a tad bit of grumpiness there. At least there is when I read into him. And I know that we can do that sometimes. If they would have had Christmas lights or attics, he would have complained about having to go into the aforementioned to get the lights from that aforementioned attic. Christmas is a really unique season because it's fun, but it doesn't really start out fun. We start celebrating it at Walmart in July. And that's not super fun. And then the season comes where we're going to begin to get things down and we have to climb into that attic. There was a Christmas party at my house for our 5th through 8th grade girls that we called the Brook, this fantastic ministry that Christy Gee leads and I'm so thankful for it. And we had to clean up our house yesterday. That's not fun. But by the end of the cleanup, good things were happening in the home. Hope was dipping Oreos, and there were Reese's cups that were shaped like trees. If that was not enough, she had made homemade peanut butter fudge in the event that the Reese's cups shaped like trees did not hit the right spot. There was party mix with lots of Worcestershire sauce like the good Lord and my grandmother intended. There were lots of leftovers of all of that at my house. There are also medications to offset any impact or influence those may have. Every year at Christmas, we shop for ornaments as a family. Alder is still shaking me down because I had to order his from the internet, and he believes they should show up the moment that you place the order. We, all of it is good and fun. Christmas is a good, fun season. Advent, and for us as people who are going to come together and think about Advent this year, I want you to know, have fun with the stuff that comes with Christmas. It doesn't be Christian for you to say, that's fun. Peanut butter fudge is not Christian. Maybe it should convert. It's still fun and right for us to acknowledge good fun. It's just not the whole story. And for us to acknowledge the whole story of Christmas, we have to acknowledge the whole story of Christmas. Which is not just Christmas season, it's the waiting that led to it. It's the first advent that 
will lead us to the way that we see the second. And I want us as a group of people this morning to see the whole story. I want us to see that over the next few weeks, the whole story. I want us to know what it, lo- what it was like as much as we possibly can to place ourselves in the nation of Israel looking around and considering what it means to be an oppressed, overwhelmed people who were in darkness looking for light, who were without a Savior, a Messiah, and didn't really even understand what that was, waiting, anticipating what it would mean for Him to come. Uh, When you look at the story of Advent, you get the story of Peter. And there were other would-be Messiahs who were born in the life of Peter. But those would-be Messiahs did not die for the sins of the people. They definitely did not leave a grave behind. And for, for Peter, we have to look at, and for us, we have to consider this. What Christmas does as we celebrate it, and what, and what we are waiting for as we look at the text this morning is this. That Christmas, and what takes place on Christmas, moves us toward the cross. The cross is where we, as a people, meet with Jesus, and His incarnation is part of that. Peter more than likely got to encounter some of these would-be messiahs. He got to deal with them. He got to see and hear the stories of how they may just may be the savior of the Jewish people who would deliver them from the captivity of the, of the Romans. He wasn't even with his brother Andrew when Andrew met Jesus. Put yourself in his shoes. A Jewish man who believe, who's believed to be in his late 30s, early 40s. He's been waiting for this Messiah his entire life. He is in the dark on the other side of the light. Wanting someone to show up who will move him from where he is to where he believes that he and his people need to be. First, uh, rather, John chapter 1 reads this. Andrew, Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. We have found the Deliverer that we have been hoping for. And he brought Simon to Jesus. Peter, leaving his fishing behind, goes to where this Jesus is. And when he gets to Jesus, Jesus looks at him and says, You are Simon... Son of John, and you will be called Cephas, or Peter. You will be a rock. That's his first encounter with Jesus. This birth of Jesus came during the darkest time. The Jewish people were waiting and oppressed. So you join with me in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. And we will look at this text on the other side of the coming of Jesus. We will look at the assurance that Peter has in Jesus and the assurance that we can have in Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It is kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this. Even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. 
So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though not seeing Him now, you believe in Him and you rejoice with inexpressible and, glo- with express- inexpressible and glorious joy. Because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls concerning this salvation. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ with them was indicating when he testified in advance to the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from the heavens. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Revisit with me verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you, searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when He testified in advance to the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that you were not serving them, they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. The birth of Jesus comes during this dark time. And when you look at this text, Peter starts, and rather when we look at verse 10, he's moving to this conversation that we see in the New Testament that echoes back to the old. Conversations about prophets and angels concerning this salvation in verse 10 is beneficial to us as a starting point because it makes us ask the question what salvation? What salvation have we been offered in the Messiah who has come? Our central idea for the day is that the hope of heaven will see us through and we will investigate what it will see us through to. In 3 through 9, we see what that salvation is. Go with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When we meet with Peter in 1 Peter... He is on the other side of the resurrection of Jesus. He sees that his hope is going to carry him through in the face of a difficult, dark, circumstance-filled world. And I hope that we would see the same. Blessed be is a unifying phrase when it's used in the Scripture. It's there to bring people together. The early church was made of people who were not necessarily from the same place. They were brought together here. It's very much what we deal with in Lake Jackson. As we look around our community, we have people who are from all over. Some of us are from Jones Creek, and, and we have been there. We will be there. You will not move us from our property. You will not take it away from us. As you look around our area, you see other things. We see people who have migrated here from the north, and we say welcome and leave your taxes behind. We also see 
that we are brought together by various colleges that we may celebrate. If you're an Aggie, you say things together. You have unifying phrases that you use very much like blessed be. Your phrase is giggum, as if you are doing something with a frog in this very moment. My longhorn friends, they say hook'em. And please don't forget us this afternoon. My, my Georgia friends, they will say sixth place is cool. And if you are an Alabama fan, I would say so is fifth. I, I saw a... <laughs> I saw a guy wearing a Tennessee hat the other day. I just told him, I'm sorry. I've been, with this, I've been with you in this for 20 years now. What unifies us is this team that we celebrate, these people that we follow. What unifies the church at this point in history is that the deep joy of God has been offered to them in Jesus. And because of that, hope is, has not come to an end. That hope is living, that hope is eternal, that hope carries us from this place to the next. Hope is heavenly. For Peter, there were moments for him in his life when hope did not seem to be alive. In fact, for Peter, this man who had met with Jesus and who inspired, we believe, much of the writings of the Gospel of Mark, there was a moment for him where... He denied Jesus and watched hope literally die. Not like John as he stood beside the mother of Jesus, but way, 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 way far away. He knew of the day that Jesus was crucified. He knew of the day that hope, this Messiah, this promised Messiah, died. That's the whole story of the first advent. That hope would die in order for the script to be flipped. Because God was coming to undo death in a person. He goes on and he says this, "...to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven..." For you, the scripture is alluding to, pointing us to the eternal nature of what it means to belong to the eternal community of God. We are kept in heaven who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There was a time when Peter's hope was dead and, he had to, and it had come to an end. It was over. And when something is over, we know that it was over. But it wasn't always over. There's a moment in the life of Peter that you will have a conversation about possibly in your life group if you attend one of those, and you should, where he says that you, Jesus, are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. But here, at this, there was a moment where Peter, where Jesus was dead, and the end is the end. We know that. But the new inheritance that God promised on the other side of the resurrection that we are still waiting to see come to its fruition, is this, that, that the hope of heaven, God's eternal promises, it is imperishable. What does it mean for something to be imperishable? It cannot be destroyed. The hope that Peter had that was living, the hope that we celebrate when we come together to remember Advent, it cannot be destroyed. It is undefiled. That means there is no pollution that is going to lessen its value. It is unfading, not subject to decay. It's hard to grasp those things because 
we know what it feels like to be destroyed. It was harder to get out of bed today than it was yesterday. We are polluted. We know that. If you, have, you realize the effects of pollution on your pocketbook at least whenever you have to get that sticker every single year. We know what it means to be decaying. These are important things for us to consider and wrestle with because even now, though now we notice that stuff, we are going to be a people who advance because of the hope that is secure, that is unfading. Think about all the fading things in life that we look at every single day. Let's have a thought experiment. I want you to go back to Christmas four years ago. If you have children, can you remember what you bought your children? Is that action figure full of as much action now? Does that video game still have validity now? How broken is that baby doll now? We know that those things happen. We know when our children's toys move from Andy's house to Sid's house. Our inheritance does not work like that. Sin destroys family. Sin destroys relationship. Sin destroys our world. Sin pollutes. Sin stains. Sin degrades. Sin decays. But the work of Jesus does not function like that. God gives it. God keeps it. He who starts a good work in you is faithful to complete it. God loves us as much today as He did yesterday. And when God loves you, He does not love you in a way that says He feels sorry for you. For every believer in this room, God loves you in the way He loves Jesus. And Jesus became sin so that we could know His righteousness. The separating things, the decay, the, the destruction, the pollution that's there. Jesus has removed us. Our hope is in that. So in this, in this verse 6 says, in this imperishable, undefiled, and unfading hope, you can rejoice. In this we can have joy. Rejoice is such a good word in the Bible, and I think because it is just this one thing, we miss what it's actually saying. In this, that we are eternal and will have life with God eternally because of the hope of heaven given to us in Jesus... We can have joy, declare joy, over and over and over. Though now, not for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So we know that we are a joy-filled people and a hope-filled people, even though we will face various trials. Trials are... In the New Testament, when it talks about trials, 
That word is used to cover a lot of ground. It's used to talk about sickness in the book of Galatians. It's used to talk about persecution in the book of Luke. In the book of Hebrews, it's quoted about people wandering without provision. Trials and joy are usually used in unison, and these are terms that are in the present. You simultaneously greatly rejoice and have great sorrow. And I don't want to diminish anyone's experience because we know that we are celebrating this season of, of what God has done for us in Jesus, what he has provided, and what he ultimately will provide for us as he calls us home. But I will not overlook the fact that some of you guys are going through hardships right now. Christmas is hard for lots of us. At this season is difficult. We've dealt with lost loved ones. We've looked around and wrestled with what it means to be sick, to have cancer, to know these things. In the face of these circumstances and these trials, Jesus says, I'm going to see my people through. You know that even if you don't deal with any of the sickness, any of the death, some of us even know when we go home for Christmas, it's not the easiest thing you've ever done. You sit down with family members and you're wondering, how am I going to have a conversation with this person? And more than likely, they're wondering, how am I going to have a conversation with that person? The tensions, the stresses that come with that. Jesus says to his people, I will see you through. That's not in the prosperity gospel sense of Jesus seeing us through. That's not you getting a new car if you can get through this Christmas. It's different than that. It's that we have this eternal presence of God that is for us in Jesus. For Peter, these trials were regular. Just to make this personal and to align it with what the text says. For Peter, these trials were regular. And Peter failed regularly. Help me out. If in your walk with Jesus, you have ever felt like you were a failure... Could you raise your hand? I'll go first. Even when you did not mean to fail. Think about what Peter said. Jesus, I'll die for you. Jesus didn't need Peter to die for him. Peter needed Jesus to die for him. I will die for you. And Jesus says, Peter, there's this rooster that's going to crow. You'll deny me three times before that happens. And in the garden, Peter loses temper and chops off a man's ear. You may say, Pastor Chad, that, nobody calls me that. Chad, only, only Lydia Baker calls me Pastor Chad and I will receive it. Chad, that's before the resurrection. Afterwards, Peter was a pillar of the church. Well, the problem with that is the Bible. In the book of Acts, he made mistakes. Peter tried to cancel pepperoni pizza and Christmas ham in the very same moment. Tried to shut it down. Peter's ultimate hope and your ultimate hope is not in your success or failure, but in the fact that Jesus is always successful. 
Peter's hope and ours is that perfection does not come from us. The resurrection of Jesus that we are inviting and thinking about on this, in this Advent season shows us that the work of Christ is what perfects us. The fact of the matter is, we should look at our world and we should crave something better. We should crave better. We should crave a world that is without sickness and death and war and mosquitoes. That world's coming. Peter's using homesick language. We know that. We know what homesick language is because though there are many who are from this area, lots of you aren't. And you know what it's like to go to a plant on Christmas morning. You, you know what it's like not to get to fly home to wherever you're from. Homesick language. But Peter is saying simultaneously that we are, yes, that we are the objects of God's affection. And that this world reminds us that it seems like it's almost out of reach. Because he's even going to use this to talk about so you're strangers, that you're exiles. As believers, we should have moments where we feel like that. And there will be moments where Christians are persecuted. Now, we live in first world... I don't even know if I can use the word persecution for what many of us go through. There are believers around the world right now who can't celebrate Christmas at all. Who can't publicly have conversations about this at all. And we need to keep that in mind when we want to complain to the person at Starbucks. Or at Walmart. As we've said before, there is nowhere in Walmart's mission statement to give you a Christ-centered shopping experience. It's not there. They don't even help you. I couldn't find somebody last night. But there are moments where we're going to find ourselves wanting another world. That's what C.S. Lewis says. If we find ourselves with a desire that, is not, that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another one. That's the hope that Peter says that he has found in Jesus. That's the hope of the first, of the first coming. They were wanting that person to be present. Verse 8. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. Over and over and over. That is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of our faith. The salvation of our souls. Salvation is mentioned three times here. We have to ask, well, when does that take place? It takes place when we see sin for what it is in light of who we are. We are a people who need to be saved. And as much as you're going to hear conversations during this holiday season about all that God has done in Jesus, there is a moment where you have to realize that Jesus did not just come to deal with sin. He came to deal with your sin personally. We have to realize the weight of sin. That sin is not something that just affects the world. It affects you intentionally. You immensely. And you don't just need Davis, Jesus to save us from sin. 
Being a follower of Christ means that you see that you need Him to save you from your sin. Now that we've cleared that up, there are things that Peter knew and things that we know that the Messiah and the angel, about the Messiah that the angels wished that they had known. Go with me back to verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. What's that mean? The Spirit of Jesus inspired the prophets to write. The Spirit of Jesus was present as the prophets wrote of the suffering of Jesus. The Spirit of Jesus directed the prophets to write about Him. And every one of the anticipation prophecies that we see in the Old Testament was pointing us forward in the midst of a dark world to a person who is light. And that's the person that we know. Verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. The good news of salvation that prophets sought and looked forward to has now been revealed. It has been revealed in Jesus, the Savior of the world, the hope of the world. The angels, on the other hand, they longed to catch a glimpse of salvation, letting us know both the, the cosmic scale of what God has done for us in Jesus and the on-the-ground scale. You were looking at prophets, men who were inspired by God to write, but who were not all-knowing, nor were they all-powerful, sharing of the one who was to come. Luke is going to tell us more about angels. If we look at the... the holistic idea of what it means to be a cosmic being, cherubim and seraphim and all that, and the one on top of your tree. Angels long to catch a glimpse of salvation. So for every believer in this room, you have experienced more of Jesus than Gabriel. Than Michael. You've been delivered. They can't know that. Beyond the angel, so let's look at the angels. Luke tells us that Gabriel appeared to Mary. An angel appears to Joseph to reassure him of the good of the good that God is doing. An angel appears to a group of shepherds, announcing the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. The angel tells them of the Savior's birth and directs them to find this baby in a manger. This is followed by a multitude of, shall we say, the heavenly host praising God and declaring glory to God in the highest. All of the spectacle of that and the power of that is less than what you as a follower of Jesus have experienced by trusting in His cross and His resurrection. That's His promise for us as a people. So we go into seasons like this where we want to have conversations about trials and look at the darkness of our world. And believe you me, it is dark. I know. I've got a Twitter account. 
But we have a hope that is secure. We have a a hope that is without fizzle or fade. We have a hope that will carry us through. Would this season be one where we think about that? Because in our experience of Jesus that the angels could barely glimpse. We see that his body was broken, not for angels, but for us. That his blood was shed for us. That we have been invited into the heavenly hope of Jesus. And would that shape the way that we see a season like this? Would you bow your heads with me? If you've never placed your trust in Christ, I would love for you to place your trust in Jesus today. A prayer like this, Jesus, I need you to save me from my sin because without you I am hopeless. I can't deal with my sin. I can't overcome my sin. I can't undo my sin. It has me bound and shackled. But you are the only one who can free me. If you prayed that or something like that, I would love for you to meet me in the back right-hand corner of the room and we begin to sing. What we're going to do as a group this morning is this. We're going to take communion as we do each and every Sunday. Because this is where we see hope meeting us. We're reminded of all that Christ has done to be with us. So if you're a believer in this room, whether you're a member of grace or a follower of Jesus who just happens to be in this room this morning, I would invite you to take communion, to take of the bread, the broken body of Jesus, to drink of the cup, to remember the shed blood of Jesus. If you're not a believer, I would just politely ask you not to take of this. It doesn't mean anything anyway for you. Jesus offers you more than the small cracker and the cup of juice at the front of this room. Father, we thank you for today. Be with us as we think on you, consider you, and wrestle with what it means that we get to know you. We ask all of this in your name, Lord Jesus. And all of us stand together and we say...